So it's good to see you. It is great to have you here. And hey, online campus, if you would, download our uh, message notes off of any of our media outlets. In-house, grab yours. We're going to dive, dive right into this today as we, uh, as we go into week number three of our series. Everybody knows the name of the series. Say it with me. Ready to go. As for me and my house. Now, I don't know how many of you are Indiana Jones fans. How many like to watch the Indiana Jones movies? All right, so I'm always a little leery about bringing up a, a movie reference in a sermon because there's always one person in the crowd who goes, oh, our pastor watches secular movies. And it just messes with some people. And, and, and listen, I do, I do watch the Indiana Jones movies, but it's because of my wife. So if, you, if it bothers you, just blame her. My wife is a Harrison Ford fanatic, and so all our marriage has been Star Wars and, and Indiana Jones movies. We were recently on vacation. We were in Colorado, and uh, we had a date night together, uh, and, and we went out, and I said, well, what do you want to do? Guess what she wanted to do? We had to go to the theater, and we had to watch the newest Indiana Jones movie. So we watched the, the latest one, and I'm not going to give a movie review. It was about what we expected, of course. Uh, you know, as you, you always expect that in an Indiana Jones movie. I will say this. There's a, t there's a time to stop. <clears throat> but anyway, I'm not saying if it is or isn't at this moment. But anyway, we'll back back up. S several movies ago, there was uh, one where... Uh, Indiana is on his quest to find the holy grail of Jesus, right? He's looking for eternal life. And it's a ma it's, it, to me, it's amazing that in the end of Jones movies, how every one of them, there is a spiritual context, a religious context to it. And many of them point to Christianity, though they're fictional and don't present Christianity uh, as in all truth and facts. Okay, let's just, put, let's just get it out there. In this one, he's in uh, Petra there in the Middle East. He is uh, going through this, these maze of, of booby traps and he's taking a leap of faith over a cavern and a lot of, a lot of symbolism here that, that you could go to. He comes into one final room with all these goblets, right? All these cups and they go from everything of solid gold and royalty down to a common man's cup. Uh, here's where the story gets really weird, but there's this thousand-year-old crusader who has been cursed to guard the cup of Jesus because it has, if you take the cup of Jesus in the movie and you drink of the living water, you get eternal life. Now we know where true living water is Jesus and eternal life comes from, right? But in the movie, he's guarding the cup. Indiana comes in, he's looking for eternal life. He wants the living water. He's finding the cup of Jesus. And, and, and watch this, watch this, watch this. The, 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 the crusader says something to this essence. You gotta find the cup of the carpenter. You gotta find the cup of Jesus, the carpenter of Nazareth. Choose wisely. The, the, the most powerful moment of the whole movie is two words. Choose wisely. When you come to Joshua chapter 24 in your Bible, we have the last sermon of Joshua. He's leading the children of Israel. They're about to embark on the promised land. They have no idea what they're about to embark upon. They don't know what it's going to be like there. All they know is, is in the land, there's a lot of different gods and a lot of different traditions, but it's the land God told them to go to. And Joshua, to prepare them, is telling them up front, you need to make a choice. Today is decision day for you to make a choice, a decision of who 
you're going to serve. You don't wait till you get in the land to decide it. You decide it in the here and now. Right now, here today, choose for yourselves. In fact, it's the key passage. You've got your Bible there or the message notes, online campus. You can join us. Let's read verse 15 together out loud. Here's what Joshua says to the people. But if it doesn't please you to worship the Lord, choose for yourselves. Next word, everybody. Today, which you will worship, the gods of your ancestors, who they worship beyond the Euphrates River, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. Here's his declaration. I want you to say it out loud with me. Ready, say it. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. Now, here's the personal choice. Stop there for a moment. Here's the personal choice. No one can choose this for you. No one can force you to make a decision like this. This has to be your decision. And that's what Joshua is saying. You must choose who you will worship. You must choose who you're going to serve. Now, the people made a great response. Look at verse 16. The people said, we will certainly not abandon the Lord to worship other gods. And so they're going to tell Joshua, hey, we're going to worship the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting. The chapter don't end right there. He didn't stop his sermon right there. You would have thought, oh, he got the response he wanted. Woo-hoo, way to go, people. But he doesn't. Here's why. You ready? Lean in close. He knows them. He's been with them all along the journey. He knows they make emotional decisions. He knows one day they're all for God, and the next day they're all for a golden calf. He's been there, done that with this group. And so the rest of Joshua chapter 24, he tells them what a commitment to God looks like. Because he doesn't want them to make just some quick, rash decision and not be serious about it two days later. He wants them to know what is going on. In fact, in fact, in fact, this isn't the first time the people of of Israel, the Jewish people, had heard a sermon similar to this. In fact, Joshua is preaching a sermon that sounds a lot like his predecessor, Moses preached. Now catch this, catch this. This is interesting. This is the last sermon Joshua will preach before he dies. Now I want to show you the last sermon Moses preached before he died. And here's the words of Moses to these same people in Deuteronomy chapter 30. Notice this. Moses says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And here's his heart. Read the next two words out loud. Ready? Go. Choose life. Online campus. Put that in the message notes or or in the message comments. Choose life so that your descendants may live. And how does it look when someone chooses to to serve God? If you choose life, which is God, if you choose blessing, which is God, what does that look like? This sounds a lot like our sermons the past two weeks. Look at it, read it, come on, go. Love the Lord your God, obey him, and remain faithful to him, for he is your life. Here's what Moses is doing. Here's what Joshua did. Both of them are doing the same thing. But Moses is teaching God is the source of life. And you have free will. You get to choose. No one can choose for you. This is your choice. You can choose God in your life or you can choose to live your life without God. Your choice. No one can make you do one or the other. 
But here's what he's saying. If you choose God, you need to understand this. God is the source of your life. And when you choose God, God is faithful. He's a heavenly father. And he promises to be with you and walk with you and bring his presence with you on the journey. If you choose God, listen to me and listen carefully. It does not mean your life will be full of blessings and no more troubles, no more trials, no more sickness. The blessing means that God's presence will be with you. And whether you're on a mountaintop or down, down in a valley, no matter what you're facing, God promises his presence to go with you through it. Amen. It rains on the just and the unjust. Everybody's got stuff. Everybody has issues. Everybody has sickness. Everybody has death. Everybody has tragedy. That's life. That's living under the curse. That'll be this way until Jesus comes back. But if you choose God, he promises no matter what you face, his presence will be with you. His presence brings the blessing but you got free will, so you can choose the opposite. Now, if a blessing is following God, what would be the opposite of a blessing? That's the curse. How do you receive the curse? Simple, one way, you decide it. You choose to live without God. You choose without his presence. Now, all of a sudden, you go up the mountain peaks of life, you go down the valleys of life, but you gotta go it alone because you've told God no, and every once in a while, people get mad after they've told no to God when things start working out not in their favor and they wonder where God is and they get angry. God, why did you let this happen? And, and here, listen to me, listen to me carefully. God, the whole time is standing there just waiting for you to invite him in because once you invite him in, he'll be with you in the midst of the mess. But he won't take over. Free will. This is God who wants to walk with you and yet gives you the a right to make a choice. And so you get to choose. In fact, write this down. Here's what we need to understand today. I am free to choose, but I'm not free to choose my consequences. My choice will choose the consequences for me. So let me just say this to you as your pastor. What, the reason I've been doing this series for three weeks, as for me and my house, is my goal, my desire is I want every one of you to have the blessing of God over your life. How many want the blessing of God over your life, by the way? How many would like to know God's taking care of your family and take care of you no matter what life brings, no matter if you go through good times or bad times, he's with you? I want that for you. But I need you to know you choose whether or not to follow him or not. And I want to call you. I want to challenge you. In fact, in fact, in fact, let me tell you what's going to happen today. I'm going to preach to you this sermon. It's called A House of Commitment. Last week was a house of worship. The week before that was a house of grace. Today, I'm telling you, it's a house of commitment. This is the sermon Joshua preached to his people. And here's what I want to say to you. At the end of this sermon, we're going to sing one more song. I'm just going to tell you up front. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to call for you to make a, a commitment on this day because tomorrow's not the right day. Today is the day to make a decision. And for some of you, and for many of you, and what I pray and hope for all of you in this room and watching online is that you'll be able to stand up with me when I call for you. And be able to declare, warts and all, problems and all, sorrows and all, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And for some of you, that's going to mean that that's going to have to take a, mean that you're going to have to go home and have a family discussion. You're going to have to remove some idols, some distractions that have derailed you or some uh, lifestyle choices that are derailing your holiness in the sight of God. It's for some of you, it's, it's going to be taking a fresh look at your parenting or, or, uh, how the atmosphere is in your house 
what the priorities are on your calendar. For others of you, and this has happened in every service today, so I want you to know you're not alone. For others of you, it'll be that today's the day for you to decide finally for you and you alone that you are gonna serve the Lord and receive Jesus Christ and his gift of salvation and then pray over your family that your family will be a house that serves the Lord. And if that's you today and you wanna be baptized to declare it at the end of this message, when I give the altar call, you can come to that gray curtain and people will baptize you before you leave here today and you can make a public declaration of your faith. Can we, can we say amen? We all, we all in agreement what we're gonna do today? All right, I'm letting you know up front. You're not going to catch you off guard. Here's why. I need to tell you that our God is a God of covenant. And what do I mean by that? God saw our sin problem a long time ago. And God decided to send a remedy. And he sent his remedy. He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus is a sinless son of God who left heaven, came to earth, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, and he, God in the flesh, chose to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he took our sin, mine and yours, and the sins of the world upon himself, went to an old rugged cross and paid the penalty of sin and rebellion and paid for our sins on the cross. He was buried and on the third day he arose from the grave. Today he sits at the right hand of God the Father. He is king of kings and he is Lord of Lords and he has paid the way for you and I to have a relationship with God. Amen. Here's the covenant because a covenant, write this down. This is the definition is a binding agreement between two parties. A covenant is a binding agreement can be broken. It's a covenant. It's a binding agreement between two partners. Here is God's side. God's side is I sent my son and whoever believes on him will receive eternal, watch this, re eternal life, forgiveness of sin. And in the here and now, until we get to heaven, God promises his presence will be with you. In fact, he will send his presence on the inside of you and dwell in you by the power of his Holy Spirit. He will live with you. He will walk with you in the here and now and give you eternal life. God says, I'll move in and I'm not moving out. That's God's side of the covenant. Now, for you to truly be saved, you've got to understand what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus. And it doesn't mean intellectual consent. A lot of people believe in Jesus. They believe that God sent his son. They believe in the plan of salvation. They believe it in their head, but it's never traveled 18 inches and gotten into their heart. Maybe that's you today. You need to understand that biblical belief is not mental consent to the Lordship of Christ. It is pure devotion of body, soul, and spirit. It is giving yourself over to him. He is Lord of all. You surrender your life to him. So not only, not only do you trust him with your mind, you trust him as the only way of salvation, but you follow him. You want to serve him and you give him your affection. You love him because he gave himself for you. This is belief. So there's a covenant. God keeps his part and we're called to walk for the Lord and live for the Lord. And there's this beautiful relationship that God has called us into. Now, when you come into covenant with the Lord, the Bible says something happens. You're given a position in the presence of God. You're given a position in the kingdom of God. Here it is. Write this down. When you become a follower of Jesus, come in covenant with God, you then become an ambassador of Christ to the world. You become an ambassador. Look at two people right now and tell them you're an ambassador in Jesus. 
If you're saved, you're an ambassador. Write that down in the comments. You're an ambassador. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone from one land, watch this, watch this, who lives in another land, and in this land they live in now, they represent the values, the traditions, and the convictions of the homeland that they came from. Now let me help you make sense of this because sometimes we, we, we complicate things and, and we don't understand what, what's happening here with being an ambassador. Every one of you are a citizen of some country. And we're in Southeast Missouri. Most of you are American citizens, even though we do have folks from other countries who now live here and come to our church. Online, we average 21 to 22 other countries who watch us every week online. So whether you're an American or you're a citizen, but we're all a citizen of some country. You with me? Here's what happens. The moment you come into covenant relationship with God and you trust Jesus alone for your salvation, you come into covenant with God. Watch this, watch this, watch this. You become a dual citizen. The Bible says you are now a citizen of heaven. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And listen, some of you won't like what I'm about to say, but it's the biblical truth that you need to understand. Your citizenship in heaven trumps your citizenship to your nationality. So now as a Christian, here's what we do. As Christians, we in the land we're living in, and you may say, I've lived here all my life. Great. You know what you do now as a Christian? You show the difference Jesus made by living out the values, the convictions, and the belief system of the God you serve who saved you by his grace, who you're in covenant with. On earth now, we become a model of the life of Jesus. And the one place that this should start from and shine out of to our entire community, you ready for this, write this down, is the home. The home should model the commitment we have made to Christ. What is the first institution in the Bible that God organized and ordained? Not the church, the home. And one of the first covenants you find in the Bible is not the covenant of salvation. Though it's there, God makes a promise there in the garden that he'll send the Messiah, Genesis chapter three. But guess what he does even before that? He creates the covenant of marriage. The home is to be on display for the glory of God. And if we're ambassadors, we're to show the glory of God. We're to model the values of our God even in our home. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 and 24. Then the Lord God said, and he's talking about Adam here, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him. Now remember, I said this a couple weeks ago. When God made Eve, he didn't take Eve out of Adam's backside. She's not inferior to him. A woman's not inferior to the man. Didn't take her out of his belly or his chest. She doesn't lead him. He took her from his side to walk together in partnership through life as co-equals. And they're to walk together as the husband should be able to be a spiritual leader and his wife coming in and nurturing and together they put on display this beautiful relationship. Watch this, watch this, watch this. 
that God has with us. Did you know in the New Testament that Jesus is called the husband and the church is called his bride? This covenant of marriage has a spiritual illustration to it. It is a model of God's kingdom. And listen, a Christian marriage, and I'm going to talk about Christian marriage. I'm not talking about what some of you think of marriage. I'm not, thinking about, I'm not talking about the American tradition marriage. I'm talking about the biblical mode of marriage. I want you to catch her this. It is not a covenant between two people. It is a triune covenant between three. A biblical model of marriage is between a man and a wife and God as the center. Right? This is what the Bible says. This is why verse 24, look at verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds, circle that word, bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. What does the word bond here mean? It means to come together in covenant. Here is this covenant of marriage found all the way back in Genesis chapter two. They come together and bond together and become one flesh. How can two become one? It's a covenant because this is what happens to you when you're in Christ Jesus. We become one in Christ, sons and daughters, by faith in Christ alone. This is what happens in our homes as well. This is what happens in our marriages. We become two to one. And it's a covenant. Now, I'll help you uh, understand this. This is the biblical mo mode of marriage, okay? I'm talking about a biblical model of marriage here. This is what it should look like. A man and a woman who come together and they're in covenant with each other, they're connected. But when God is at the center, watch this, watch this, watch this. When God is at the center and the man pursues a relationship with God in the marriage, when the man is seeking after God, when the wife is seeking after God, when both of them are seeking after God, they're growing closer to God. What happens to the man and woman as they're getting closer to God automatically? They get closer to each other. Now, if the man is seeking after God, but the woman is lagging behind, do they get closer to each other? No, they're getting pulled apart. If the wife is seeking closer to God and the man's lagging behind, do they get closer to each other? No, they're being pulled apart. Both have to be in covenant and an agreement of a covenant of both seeking God. This is why... If you've ever heard how the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked, or before you say I do, make sure that you both have the same belief system, same convictions. It's because you're gonna grow together, and if you don't agree together and follow after God, you're not gonna grow closer together, you're gonna go separately. Divorce, many of you have been affected by the pain of divorce, and this sermon is absolutely in no way a condemnation to you. This is just educating and teaching biblical commitment here. But uh, many of you know the pain of a divorce and you know that somewhere one or both parties in that marriage separated from the covenant. They either didn't seek God together at the same level, they drifted in different parts, but anyway, there's a breakdown somewhere of the covenant because marriage is a covenant. It is a trend today for couples to live together outside of marriage. And I did some research, I actually talked to some who are in that life, in that predicament, you know, that, that situation where they're, they're not comfortable being married yet, but they're living together. And I was like, what, what's going on? Why, why that decision? And you know, what they told me is also what you will find if you do research publicly. The number one cause of people living together outside of marriage is fear. Fear of divorce. 
I actually had one Christian couple tell me they were living together because they saw their families divorce and they were Christians and they know God holds marriage at a high level and they were afraid that they wouldn't be compatible to last and so they lived together to see if they could last if they ever did get married. And listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. I'm not here to condemn, I'm just here to tell you that's not the biblical model, that's not the biblical way. There is a better way. And if you understand biblical covenant marriage, it shouldn't cause you to be afraid, it shouldn't bring about fear, it should bring about security. Biblical marriage does not lead to fear, it brings security. It brings the one thing living together you can't have. You have no security. Anybody can walk away at any moment. There is no split in 50% of the, of the assets and going through the legal systems and all the drama and the money you gotta pay out. That actually brings a little security. But I'm telling you, walking with God brings a lot of security. And there's no security outside of that covenant relationship. Let me give you an illustration of this. This is, I'm not talking about what you've seen or what you've experienced or if your parents divorced or whatever. We've all been touched by that, by the way. All our I don't know of anybody whose families hadn't been touched by relationships that's broken up or not been beautiful or not been Christ-like. But I'm talking about if we could honestly make the commitment to the Lord and in our homes have a relationship like God wants them to have, this is what it should look like. Two people growing together in covenant relationship as they grow closer to God together. And that's the part that most people forget. They invite God in the marriage vows and then forget to pursue him afterwards. And I wanna help you with that. Our church wants to help you with that because I want you to have the blessings and I want you to have beautiful marriages and I want you to have a lifestyle that brings glory and honor to God. And listen, 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 here's a great example of this. How many of you have been walking with the Lord for a while now? Next question. How many of you who are walking with the Lord have found that the Lord is very patient with you? <laughs> Look at your neighbor and tell him, God's patient, I see him all over you. Amen. When I see you, I see how patient God is. Watch this, watch this. If you've been walking with the Lord and you're saved and in covenant, have you ever had a moment where you felt God said, I'm done with you? You may have felt it, but was he? No. Has God ever said to you, I have forgiven your same silly sin 1,499 and a half times and I'm not forgiving it anymore? No, you may have felt it, but he never said it, did he? Have you ever had God look at you and say, you are absolutely, I can't do anything with you. I am so done with you. I'm so tired of wrestling with you. I'm so tired of trying to convince you. I'm so tired of walking through this with you. I'm done and I'm walking out. Question, has God ever walked out on your salvation? Not once. Why? He's in covenant with you. And covenant is a binding agreement between two persons and God keeps his word. And the God has said, I'll save you and I'll redeem you and I'll give you eternal life and I'll put my spirit in you and you're sealed to the day of redemption is the same God who says, I never walk out. This will upset a few of you and it's okay. I'm a good offender. You study the Bible, you'll never find one Christian in the New Testament who was saved twice. Why? Covenant. Covenant. You know what God does to his children who are saved and continue living in sin? He will convict you. 
And he'll convict you and he'll convict you and he'll convict you. The most miserable people on this planet are not sinners. They are Christians who are living in known sin and refuse to repent before God. And you know what he does? He chastises, he disciplines you. And God's gonna keep taking you to a Holy Ghost woodshed over and over and over. Anybody been there? I've been there a few times. Over and over again. And you know what happens when you don't repent? He goes from, from, from time out in the corner <laughs> Uh, they'll have to cut this because there'll be somebody else who'll fit about this. But anyway, the paddle keeps getting thicker and the switch keeps getting longer. The longer we rebel, right? But you know what the one thing God never does? God never walks out on the relationship. You know what you have in your salvation? Because it's a covenant, you have security. You know what marriage, biblical marriage is? It shouldn't be a place of fear. It should be a place where you witness the greatest security this side of heaven because marriage is a model or illustration of our salvation. What does that mean? That means when you, before you say I do and after you say I do, you go into it where divorce isn't even a word in your vocabulary. And you seek God together. Biblical marriage, when two people are seeking God together, it's a whole lot harder to fall apart from each other. Amen? Every divorce, someone, somewhere, stopped living by the agreement of the covenant. And in covenant, if you, if you, you, can't, you can't make your decision because somebody else failed, y'all. You can't even make your next decision because of a past relationship that failed in your life. Today, today is the day of decision. Today, if you'll follow the Lord and you will grow together in covenant, it's the most secure place you can be. When a husband loves his wife, like Ephesians chapter five says, as Christ loved the church, that's security. When a wife respects and honors her husband, like Ephesians chapter five says, that the church honors the Lord, that's security. When husbands and wives or parents love their children and train them up in the ways of the Lord and train them up in the ways of the Lord, that's security for that child because that child knows the parent has to be involved and the parent has to love and show grace and forgiveness and discipline and accountability, but do it in a way that models the heavenly father. That changes how we parent. And now it's security for the child. For some of you, you're... You're married to someone who's not a believer already. And you're like, well, what, what about me? Let me tell you what God, God is so faithful to you that 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, if you're married today to an unbeliever, and we understand that's, that's gonna be, there's going to be some difficulties there. But let me tell you, the Bible says, if you will be patient and loving and gracious in that marriage, and don't let your differences cause division in that home. Instead, model your faith of, in Christ to that person in a loving, generous, patient manner. God says in 1 Corinthians 7, I'll bless your home because of you. And Paul says, who knows if by your loving conduct, if the time won't come, you won't win over your unbelieving spouse to see God in you. Show them the Lord. And God promises he'll be with you. The, listen, biblical marriage, and not only marriage, but parenting, the whole home situation is a model of security when we understand commitment. It brings a sense of security. Let me tell you this other piece. Look at the verse 19. Then Joshua says this, and he's going to use a word that some of you are going to just be like, oh, hate that word. That's a bad word. Why did God use that word to describe himself? 
But it's not, because it's just because the world has taken this word and has messed up its meaning because of people's irrational, extreme reactions. But look at what he says in verse 19. But Joshua told the people, you'll not be able to worship the Lord because he's a holy God. He's a jealous God. And there's that word jealousy. And everybody's like, oh, that's a negative word. Not always. The word jealousy here actually means passion and protection and commitment. That's what jealousy can also mean. Jealousy done right is I'm going to protect those I love and I'm going to protect what God has given. And it's a commitment a word of commitment. What, what's wrong is when you get mad or jealous because somebody looked at your wife or looked at your husband in a way and, and they had nothing to do with it or because some kid got picked over your kid on the sports team and now all of a sudden you're, that's not what the Bible's talking about here. That is, that's silliness. That's immaturity. Maturity says, here's what biblical jealousy looks like. I'm gonna protect my family. I'm going to protect this marriage. I'm going to protect my children. I'm going to stand up for them. I love them. I am committed to them. I'm passionate about my family because that's what God is for us. God does not want our hearts led astray to some false God. He doesn't want the blessings taken off of us. So God says, I'll fight for you. How many, by the way, are thankful you got a God who will fight for you? He'll fight for your relationship. He wants you in this relationship. Amen? I gotta tell you this great story. It'll probably cause me to sleep on the couch tonight. <clears throat> so some years back, I was pastoring, I was in my mid-20s, a little old church in uh, rural Kentucky. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm from Kentucky, I'm, I'm a hugger. I, I'm nice, I like to sh you know, high five, I like to get to know people, I'm relational in that way, you know, I'm, I'm the affectionate one in our marriage, by the way. All right. I'm the one who likes dates, all right? And, and just, you know, the I love yous and the cuddle, and I, I, that's me. Um, with everyone, though, I'm just like, you know, I want a high five, I want to shake hands, I'm, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the hugger, so that's just me. I'm from the South, I call everybody hun and dear and sweetheart, I don't mean anything wrong about that, it's just my language. I was, I was pastoring this church for about six months, and we were on the old campus, and I had this huge long line of people greeting me at the back door, and I'm shaking their hands as they're leaving. I'm calling everybody, hey, hon, good to see you. Hey, darling, good to see you. Hey, sweetheart, good to see you. Hey, brother, how are you? Good to see you. And one woman walked up to me as I'm shaking hands, and as I reached out to shake her hand, she goes, I got it. I know why you call everybody sweet hun and darling. You don't know any of our names. I said, that's right, sweetheart. I sure don't. I'll see you next Sunday. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I had somebody come up to me at the beginning of this service and said, so, every time you call me brother, hey, secret's out. I'm terrible with names. All right, good with faces, terrible with names. But I'm in this church, and, uh, and everybody there is like huggers and happy and good to have you kind of thing, right? I stand at the back door of that church, and I'm greeting people as they leave every Sunday, and uh, there were a few women in that church that like the hugs a little more than what my wife thought they should. All right, I mean, I'm talking like the embrace was a little longer than everybody else's embrace. They went from side hugs to full frontal hugs. 
the line, the reception line would get, you know, held up as we got to wait for them to get done with their hugs so that everybody else can leave the service. And my wife decided, I don't like that. And, uh, and, and so here's what happened. Uh, the very next Sunday, my wife started, and if you ever see this out in the courtyard, you'll know why now. Okay, I'm just giving you yeah, Somebody freaked her out. Anyway, she started standing at the door with me while I'm shaking hands to people. And when a certain few women came in the line to hug me by, my wife now would slip in front of me on the other side and she'd stick out her hand and she'd get their hand first before they ever got to me. And she'd be like, hey, good to see you this morning. I'm so glad you came. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday. Bye, y'all. <laughs> uh, they never got back to me. And you know what I was doing? I wasn't mad at her for being jealous. I was puffing my chest out and going, that's my woman. That's my woman right there. <laughs> yeah. What are we talking about today? We're talking about commitment. <laughs> Here's your big takeaway. Or, or by the way, by the way, by the way, before you do that, why was God jealous? He's described as because he's holy. What does the word holy mean? Set apart. Here's what God says. I'm set apart. There's no other God like me. And when you come into covenant with me, watch this, watch this, watch this. When you come into covenant with me, I want you to be set apart just for me. I don't want you to serve me and some other God at the same time. You know what he's calling for us in our homes? Even in our homes, they need to be set apart from everybody else's and be a place that says, look at what happens when God gets in the middle of a home. Amen? Here's your big takeaway. What happens when a home is set apart for the glory of God? Write this down. That home becomes a house of grace that talks about the Lord and is not ashamed of the Lord and is teaching each one in the family about the Lord. It becomes a house of worship, a house that honors the Lord, reverences the Lord, uh, reveres the Lord, and is, is gonna serve the Lord to the best of their ability. It becomes a house of commitment. That house becomes a house of security. And the people in that house know we can get through anything by the grace of God. We're gonna live a lifestyle that brings honor to the Lord and we know no one's walking out. We got each other's back. We're a house of security. This is what the Lord wants for you. It's what he wants for me. And now the decision comes back to us. Do we want that? Do we want that? Do you want that? Because the next step is yours. Joshua 24 22 through 24, Joshua told the people, your witnesses today against yourselves that you have chosen to worship the Lord. They said, we're witnesses. Yeah, that's what we want. Verse 23, he says, then get rid of the foreign gods that are among you. Turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So the people said to Joshua, we will worship the Lord our God 
and obey him. Do you see they added obey him that they didn't say earlier? Now they know it's not just an intellectual consent, it is devoting themselves to the Lord. And that was their next step. Go home, get rid of their idols, worship and obey the Lord. And I wanna say to our congregation before we sing this final song, what is the next step the Holy Spirit's already speaking to you about? How many of you today could stand up with me and say, I've thought this through with all my mistakes and my problems and knowing we're not a perfect family because listen, there are no perfect Christian families, no Christian homes, no perfect Christian husbands, no perfect Christian wives, no perfect Christian children. Get over that. It's not there. But here's what God promises. Through it all, the ups and the downs of life, I will go with you. You don't have to be afraid. I'm a God of covenant. I can bring you security. I'll be with you if you'll let me. How many of you today would stand to your feet and say, man, the best I know how, as for me and my house from this moment forward, I can stand and say today, we will serve the Lord. How many of you can do that? How many of you are willing to do that today?